I was always curious about the entrepreneurial side of the business. There weren't a lot of resources. So there weren't people teaching lawyers specifically how to market. There were a number of books, you know, mainly published by the ABA or its affiliates about starting your law firm. They were very basic and they dealt more with things which are important, like setting up your trust account, you know, getting your lease. I mean, those things are all important, but they don't feed you. What feeds you are cases coming in the door. And so, you know, I decided to leave my firm basically on a Friday, came in over the weekend, got cases. We split amicably. And on Monday or on the weekend, I'm at Office Depot, Jonathan, wondering what have I just done? Because I didn't even have space. Welcome to the Founding Partner Podcast. Join your host, Jonathan Hawkins, as we explore the fascinating stories of successful law firm founders. We'll uncover their beginnings, triumph over challenges, and practice growth. Whether you aspire to launch your own firm, have an entrepreneurial spirit, or are just curious about the legal business, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. All right. Welcome to Founding Partner Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hawkins. Very excited about our guest today. We've got Ben Glass. So Ben, I don't know if you know this, you know, we met formally maybe this summer, this past summer, but I found you years ago when I was a young associate and just really interested in, in marketing and legal marketing. And I was just doing internet searches and I did come across you way back when. So I, I've known about you for a long time, but why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us about your law firm and about GLM as well. Well, sure. So, but what you experience is, it's a great lesson for the lawyers who may be listening to this is that, you know, you may have prospects that come and pay attention to you for a little bit or see you and then hang around a long time before they take action. So, so never, never give up. I don't know what it caused you to, to come back again in the last year or so, or to take action, but that's an important part for everyone to remember. Yeah. So, so thanks, Jonathan. My name is Ben Glass. I'm uh, I just celebrated 40 years of practicing law. So we run a small law firm here in Fairfax, Virginia, right outside of Washington, DC. My son runs personal injury cases in Virginia. I run this weird niche that I discovered maybe 20 years ago called ERISA long-term disability cases, mainly in Virginia, mainly in the fourth circuit, but we've got some cases spread out across the country. We've got about 18 people or so under roof. We just counted up the other day. We've got three and soon to have four virtual assistants based out of the Philippines. And so that's been an interesting, you know, an interesting add to our leverage here. We've got a good brand here in Northern Virginia. We operate in almost a competitive free zone in the disability side. Of course, PI is very competitive, but we've got a good brand space here. And, uh, you know, like most lawyers, John, I had a pretty typical path, went to law school, got a job out of law school, actually got a job in law school with a guy who then hired me and stayed with that firm. And it's different generations for about different iterations for about 12 years. And he, he was a very good personal injury attorney in Virginia. And so I was really lucky, Jonathan, because uh, the firm was doing a lot of insurance defense work, but trying to transition to plaintiff's work. And so they let me do a lot of insurance defense work, which meant in my early years, Jonathan, I was trying cases. I was attending hundreds of depositions, oftentimes with teams of lawyers. So I got to learn from very experienced lawyers, got to travel around the country a bit. 
and they pretty much let me have a ton of experience that I think in 2024, it'd be, it's hard to get the experience that I got, like almost right out of the gate, trying in some cases, pretty significant medical malpractice defense cases in, in Virginia and in Washington, DC. Um, stayed there 12, 13 years and got that entrepreneurial itch. Hey, let's go start something on our own. The reality is I've got a large family. I was coaching three kids soccer teams in the same season. And that was becoming a headache to get to practices because the office was so far away. So I opened an office near where I lived. Didn't really know anything about what I was doing. I was a good lawyer, Jonathan, getting good results. Didn't know anything about business. Didn't know anything about marketing. And, you know, nine months or 12 months after the cases I brought with me ran out, I was in trouble. <laughs> and so that started my journey, Jonathan, into trying to learn, particularly the marketing. How do you drive leads? How do you become relevant in a space where back in those days, it was Yellow Pages and TV and not many other media. The internet was in its, in its infancy as far as lawyers, Jonathan, using websites. I did have one of the first websites and I took a class at Errol's. If people remember Errol's, I took a class in HTML design at one point. I was a solo practitioner. I had time on my hands and I needed a website. So that's how old I am. We, start, we were using carbon paper and typewriters when I started practicing. And so, but today we've got a, a good, robust firm. We're surrounded by, my, in practice with my son, Brian, we're surrounded by a great team. As you know, from being a part of our mastermind group, we work very hard on creating a place that people would really like to come work for. And then once they come work there, they really want to stay. Now, we're not perfect at it. Nobody is. But I think we've, that's what we've worked on mainly, building a place, Jonathan, where people will thrive. First, let's just build that entity. We happen to be very good lawyers in the PI and the disability space, but we wouldn't be as good as we are if we didn't have a great team. So, so we're going to dive into all of that and all the marketing yeah. stuff too. I, I want to go way back though, back when you started your firm. And, and I, I know you've got a lot of books out. We'll talk about that too. I've read most of them. I don't know if I've read all of them, but you know, go back to starting your firm. You know, nowadays, it's fairly easy to start a firm. You need a law license, internet connection, and you know, that's about it. We need clients too. But, but back then, you know, starting a firm wasn't, you know, there are a lot more resources now to help folks. And back then, I don't know if it was really straightforward, you know, take us back and, and how did you do it? Or, you know, how did you know you could do it? Two big questions. So you're right. I was always curious about the entrepreneurial side of the business there weren't a lot of resources. So there weren't people teaching lawyers specifically how to market. There were a number of books, you know, mainly published by the ABA or its affiliates about starting your law firm. They were very basic and they dealt more with things which are important, like setting up your trust account, you know, getting your lease. I mean, those things are all important, but they don't feed you. What feeds you are cases coming in the door. And so you know, I decided to leave my firm basically on a Friday, came in over the weekend, got cases. We split amicably. And on Monday or on the weekend, I'm at Office Depot, Jonathan, wondering what have I just done? Because I didn't even have space. I had not, this was not a long-term plan by any means. And we just did it. And my wife, fully, Sandy, fully supported what we were doing, even though it was very scary. We had just in the last year, bought a, you know, a very nice house in Fairfax County. And I just did it. And so 
it was, you know, starting a firm was relatively simple. You, I eventually got space and started telling my friends that, hey, I'm doing person back then personal injury and medical malpractice plaintiffs work. Then that's all. It wasn't any insurance defense work out in Fairfax. And we just started to get cases in. And again, I took work with me. So I had cases to resolve and I had somewhat of a runway of money. And so that wasn't the issue in the beginning. But the issue was I was not trained on how to get cases. And again, all I knew was what I looked around and saw other lawyers doing. And the only way you could compete when you're thinking like that is, well, I have to buy more, right? I have to buy a bigger yellow page ad. I wasn't in TV. I didn't know a lot about getting referrals. Again, the internet was new. So it was Michael Gerber's entrepreneurial seizure. I can make good cookies. Let's go set up a bakery. And, and I fit right into his book on that because I made every mistake and, you know, fortunately survived it. But it was really hard at times. And even when I got good at getting cases in, I didn't know anything about people and managing and scaling. And so I, you know, I went from the disaster of not having cases, then being able to generate cases. We can talk about some of the early ways. And then trying to scale and not knowing anything about managing people, hiring the right people, holding them accountable for, you know, what they promised to do. And so that was a learning curve. So <laughs> I I did everything the hard way, I think. Well, I want to dig into all of that, but let's let's start with some of the marketing. I, folks that know you know that you know you're a big Dan Kennedy disciple. I'll say you you went down that rabbit hole, but take us through the evolution of your discovery of different marketing techniques and and you know to piggyback on what you said, you know I'd say even today most lawyer marketing is pretty boring, if if any back then probably even worse. So, you know, take us through your yeah. evolution and your discovery of various marketing techniques and, and things that weren't in the law and then you've applied to the law. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I was at that time in my early years, I was a fan of the success literature and the personal performance literature. So I was a Nightingale Conant, you know, I bought stuff from them. And so every once in a while they'd send a sales letter. One day I got a sales letter for Kennedy's, for Dan Kennedy's magnetic marketing toolkit. And that really opened my eyes to, oh, look at this. First thing you do, first rule of marketing is look around at what everyone else is doing and don't do any of that, right? Again, unless you're going to beat them on the spend, you're just going to, you're going to get killed, right? So looked around, I swear, Jonathan, I went to the library and I just looked at all the yellow page books. There was a regional library near me that had probably 30 volumes of yellow page books, thick books. And as you may remember back in the day, although you were younger, they would be 40 and 50 pages of in the A section under attorneys, another 40 and 50 pages in the L section for lawyers. And so I started writing down marketing messages and I started to craft, like, how could I show up differently? Uh, again, look around what everyone else is doing and don't do that. And so the idea that I landed on was, hey, let's have something for people that we could make an offer on to at least get them to give us name and phone number back in the day and then later name and email address. And so that's where the books came in, the practice specific books, you know, five deadly sins that can ruin your car accident case in Virginia. I was the first, I was the one that introduced that whole thing to the market. Now you see that all over the country. Um, you know, I wrote a book on the truth about lawyer ads where I 
It was really a consumer guide to helping someone who's been thrust into our world, helping them find the right lawyer and teach them how to read lawyer ads, you know, whether they were on TV and then, you know, later on YouTube and internet and stuff like that. And the whole object of that was, Jonathan, that if, was that if somebody, well, first I could make a broader offer. So then I started running yellow page ads that said, hey, before you, if you've been injured, before you talk to a lawyer, before you talk to the adjuster, hire a lawyer, assign any forms, just get our book, get our free information. And so people would call and just get our book. Lead generation, I would get their name, their mailing address back in the day and their contact info. We'd send them the book. And so then we would, I developed very simple follow-up sequences to them because what we discovered was people who were looking at their problem and trying to figure out how to hire a lawyer, well, they weren't just hiring the first lawyer that they talked to, right? They were thinking about these problems. And so then I started to develop, okay, started to look at what we call the customer journey. Like people will enter our world, no matter what your practice area is, people will enter our world at different stages. They may just be trying to figure out, is my problem a problem that legal can solve? Okay, maybe is it a problem that I need a lawyer to solve? If so, how do I find the right lawyer? Oh, I might want to fire my current lawyer. And so there's this whole path of places where people might be entering the space where they're looking for you. And so then I started to create lead generation magnets, again, books, white papers on each one of those stages. So I had everything from the five deadly sins to how to fire your lawyer, you know, how, and how to read lawyer ads. I had all these different pieces of marketing, which allowed people to start a conversation with me and me to start a conversation with them without it being all about coming in free consult, just like what everybody else was doing. And so that's, that worked for me. And it was very simple back in the day. Like today we have a lot of published books and of course so much stuff gets delivered by PDF or email, but my stuff was very simple. I literally ran white papers off the copier and I put them in nice binding and called it a book, but it worked. It worked. And slowly, you know, I started to get the cases in. And then at some point, uh, Dan Kennedy and his then partner, Bill Glazer said to me, you know, your stuff's pretty good. You should be showing other lawyers how to market and how to build a practice. Because even then, there were very few of us, of what, let's just say, a guru teaching lawyers how to build a better practice, you know, less than a handful. And so we just, I did. I said, well, I don't know if my stuff is good enough. They said, your stuff is good enough. And so I just started Great Legal Marketing in about 2005 taking as in essence what we were using in the law firm and now bring it to the market and the greatest thing about that idea was not that i made a ton of money selling stuff right to lawyers but that i started to gather a tribe of lawyers who were very interested in the entrepreneurial side of practice of law who were interested in marketing building companies and so just so now we had a group of people who exchanged ideas who have an abundance mindset and who would sit down, our mastermind group started right back at the beginning of rate legal marketing. So sit down with lawyers in a room and say, what are you using in Ohio to get estate planning clients? Great. What can I learn from that to help get um, personal injury clients in Virginia? And so that was very fortuitous that I started great legal marketing again, not because we were making a ton of money selling stuff back in the day to lawyers, but because we started to, 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 tease out those lawyers in the country who were interested 
in building a better practice, making more money, and as the subtitle of my first book was, and still get home in time for dinner. So yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit more about great legal marketing. You know, what is it now? Who's it for? And maybe has it changed over the years since when you started it? I guess what twenty years ago or so. Yeah, well, we just uh, we're starting our twentieth year of uh, coaching lawyers there. Yeah, so so what is it? First of all, today it is literally what I just described. It's a tribe of lawyers who are interested in learning to build a better life for themselves, learning to create happiness for themselves and their family without increasing the chaos that oftentimes comes with growth. And so we have different levels of membership. As you know, we've got two different levels of mastermind groups. We've got another coaching group and we do events. So we'll do a big event every year in October. This year in 2024, we'll be out in Arizona. We have a monthly journal. And mainly, Jonathan, what we are doing is we are showing lawyers that there's a path to happiness in the profession. Like You have a right to live your life as you want it. And by that, you get to design a practice that you want, and that's great for you. And then by once you figure out like what kind of practice would really make you the happiest, then let's go figure out the marketing that drives that avatar or that ideal client to you. So we've served really, literally thousands of lawyers over the last 20 years from as far away as actually many different countries around the world. We've had members from Great Britain. As you know, Canada, South America, I think we've had a member in Russia in the past. Because lawyers are trained to be good lawyers. And, you know, that's the expectation to be a good lawyer. But nowhere in law school do they teach you how to have... First of all, nowhere in law school, John, do they tell you that it's okay to also be happy and to not work too hard and to make good money and to work with people you like working for, work with people you like working with, and work for people you like working for. And so that's what we bring to the market today. And today in 2024, we have lots of other friends in the space too. And I would say they're all good people. I mean, I have been on their stages. I have talked to them. We are often, some of us are in mastermind groups together. So everyone you see out there in the space now, not everyone, but most people you see out in their space coaching lawyers, like we have some sort of a relationship with. We many of us have grown up together in the Dan Kennedy world. We are, you know, born of that tree a little bit. But everybody's bringing something different to the market and bringing something to different markets. So I'm, you know, I'm very, we're very popular obviously in the PI space and in the space of lawyers who are doing, you know, maybe anywhere from as low as $350,000 top line revenue to a million dollars is kind of our one group. And then above seven figures to three to four to $5 million. That's our space. There are folks out there in the coaching space now that are working only with lawyers above everything that we do. Perfect. There's some folks that are working with lawyers, even, you know, smaller, I guess, and newer to the practice than we are. And that's great too. So there's a lot to unpack there. So I want to yeah, try I know. to go talk through about some of that, but so <laughs> let's talk about law firm growth. I know, you have all types of members in GLM. I know you've worked with all types of, of lawyers and growth to one might mean something different than to another. You know, some want to get as big as possible and others just want to maybe work as little as possible and, and just design it, as you said, to design the firm they want. Um, and I'm sure you've helped people that want to go one way and folks want to go the other way. Yeah, so the... My mantra is 
this is you have one life to live. It's a one-way journey. You don't get any do-overs, right? And you have a right to be happy and to live for your own happiness. And so you're exactly right, Jonathan. For some people, growth means I want to have multi-offices, multi-location offices. I want to have 50 or 100 people under roof working. And of course, in America, there's firms with lots more people under roof. And we say, great. Because what we work on first, Jonathan, with new members is what would be, what what does perfect look like for you? And oftentimes, what does perfect look like for you and your spouse and your family? Because if the lawyer is happy and wants multi-city location growth, but the spouse is like, no, this is driving me crazy, then we at least, you know, make the couple think about this. Like, like really, let's make sure that we are aligned as a family first. That's a big thing. As you know, Jonathan, I've got nine kids, been married 42 years. So it's been important that our growth at Ben Glass Law and our growth at Great Legal Marketing is aligned with what we want to do as a family. So, and then this is what I'm really good at, I think. And what Great Legal Marketing is really good at is if you, Jonathan, have a clear vision of what perfect would look like for you, and we encourage you to not think about, you know, that I don't have the money to get to perfect. I don't know the right people. I don't know the right resources. Like we put those things aside for a moment to vision what would be perfect. And then what we're really good at is helping lawyers figure out, Jonathan, how to use their next hour and their next dollar. And I say that because there's, a, as you know, like there's so many resources out there today, so many coaches, so many technologies, you know, there's a new SEO expert born every moment, right? And they're all pretty good when used in the right order. So what we're good at is helping you because of our experience running our own firm, because we are running a firm, we are full-time practicing lawyers here. And because of our experience of working with so many lawyers over time is we help you prevent making the mistake of leaping ahead five steps, investing in something that you're not actually ready to invest in. We don't sell SEO, we don't sell website, we don't sell paper, but we don't sell any of those services. <clears throat> but we are an excellent resource for helping you decide who to work with. As you know, many of the conversations in our mastermind group are about vendors and not only about vendors, but about like who inside a particular company you really need their cell phone number because they can really help you. And then and then what we work on is, is preventing you from going to overspend on something that you're just not ready for example, if you don't have someone who's dedicated to answering the phone and has got scripts and who fully understands the culture of the firm and who you're looking for, then why are we running some big TV campaign or Facebook campaign or something like to drive more leads down a really bad customer experience because you don't have a pro on the other end of the phone? And so we would work on helping you develop those processes so that the new leads that come through your office are getting a terrific customer or client experience. Because at the end of the day, Jonathan, that's what people are going to remember most. Like we lawyers think we're so special, but we're not really special. There's a lot of good lawyers. There's a lot of lawyers that can do the lawyer part better than I can. Undoubtedly, there's lawyers who can do what you do better than you can, right? But what we can excel is in the customer and the client experience. And that's our real competitive advantage. And if you get that right, and then you go out and get more leads, then that's going to be golden. If you drive more leads down a crappy experience, 
you're just going to get bad reviews, bar complaints, malpractice complaints, and your weekends are going to be miserable because you're going to try to unwind all of this, you know, bad stuff that a bad experience is creating. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, new law firm owners, as you grow, you, as you know, you have limited resources. You can't spend it everywhere all at once. And back to your point, there really is sort of a, a path folks should take. Um, you know, I've had folks call me and say, obviously, they've talked to some billboard salesperson and they're convinced that, hey, I want to spend all this money on the billboards. And I said, all right, do you have, you know, 24 to 36 months worth to spend on billboards because that's how long it's going to take maybe for it to work. So you're better off doing something else first, but let me shift real quick. So back to something you said earlier, you know, designing the life you want. This is something I know I've heard you speak about a lot, particularly when, you know, all the bar associations, you know, lawyers as a, as a profession, we know there are a lot of unhappy lawyers and a lot of depressed lawyers, a lot of lawyers that have substance abuse problems, et cetera. And the state bars, Talk about wanting to fix that, and, you know, they have maybe Band-Aid solutions, if that. I don't know, but I, I know this is real important to you, and, and I want to give you a minute to talk about what you think is the right approach versus some of the Band-Aid approaches perhaps we see from other areas. Yeah, look, so, so there's no doubt that the profession can be stressful. Um, my complaint with the lawyer wellness programs is not that the advice they give is wrong, like eat better, get more exercise, learn meditation, whatever, right? None of that is wrong. But what they never talk about is, hey, let's go over here and focus on working on our business. So much of lawyer unhappiness is driven by, you know, clients who are not happy people and who become a terror, both for the lawyer and the lawyer staff all right, well, let's build something so we never have to take one of those clients again. And so much of the profession, what you learn growing up in the profession is like, you got to go help people like, oh, we're these superhuman beings that need to go help everyone. And I like, no, actually, we don't need to help everyone, right? We actually do better for society when we build a firm and whether it's a solo practice like I started, right? or something robust, you know, Mike Morris's firm in Michigan, and I had Kate McHazel on, on my podcast recently, you know, we are doing, we will do better for our communities when we are running sane, organized, happy businesses. And so my condemnation of the Bar Association writings is that they never talk, they never want to talk about profit, margins, KPIs, marketing, Culture, hiring, firing, stuff that, you know, we talk about that all the time at Great Legal Marketing. So that's my bitch with them. And it's interesting because as I write letters to the editor, you know, I hear things like from the people that are editing the letters before they go in the journal, I hear things like, I think you're right, but I'm inside an echo chamber here. And so we really have to be careful about what we say because we are the, you know, ABC State Bar. So there are people out there who, who know that what we're doing is right. You know, and the last thing I'll say on this is that law firms or law schools are meant to create widgets for big law, right? And so that can be miserable. I've represented a bunch of like five and six year big law associates who get some sort of disability and can't work. And the life they describe is horror. I mean, it's absolutely horror. It's in a nice air conditioned building, but it's a horrible, hor horrific life. And I'm sure you've talked to those kind of folks too. And it's, they, they don't realize there's another way. That's it. 
they believe this nope. is it. Yeah. This is the only way. Uh, yeah, and that's a shame. It's a shame that they don't see what you have seen and many lawyers have seen when they come to like a great legal marketing event or they, you know, they sit in Richard James or our John Robbins event. Like there's a whole bunch of us who are really happy running small firms, but the backbone of the small firm is it's run on business fundamentals. And again, you, cause you asked earlier about like, what did you learn outside of law? Well, most of the business fundamental stuff we've learned comes from outside of law. It comes from guys running a car repair shop, like who's running a profitable car repair shop probably has good systems, probably is hiring appropriately, probably is running his money appropriately. Gee, is there anything he's doing that we could import into law? And the answer is yes. Okay. At the law firm GC, our team of experienced attorneys provides knowledgeable legal counsel for businesses of all sizes. Founded by Jonathan Hawkins, our firm specializes in corporate law, real estate, litigation, and more. To learn how we can become your trusted legal advisors, visit www.yourlawfirmgc.com and schedule a free consultation today. The Law Firm GC. Law done right. So stepping back again, you've got, you still have your law firm that you run and you've got GLM. How do you balance running the two? How have you figured that yeah. out over the years? I say no to almost everything. So I'm, I've, what the, the, the skill set that I have developed over the years, 40 years of practice, running a big family, a referee, high school and youth soccer games is not being afraid to say no. Because here's what happens, Jonathan, is that really successful people in a community, in an organization, you know, they get asked to do a lot. If you're in a house of worship and, you know, I'm in a church, same church for over 30 years, but you get asked and there's this kind of guilt thing. Like when someone's asking you to join a committee or asking you to volunteer for this or that. And when I was young, I had a hard time saying no to people who were older than me asking me to be on committees. I was honored to be on a committee that I would say yes, and then I would be miserable because I'd be spending Friday night on some committee meeting. So I say no to a lot of things. The other thing I think I'm pretty good at is now is creating systems that allow me to delegate things that I shouldn't be doing. And it's a problem lawyers have because lawyers think, well, I'm the only one that could do depositions. I'm the only one that could answer discovery. I'm the only one that can write a brief. And this is simply not true, right? Of course, you have to be licensed to do some of that stuff. But brief writing, like I've had great non-lawyer brief writers who I can teach how to take a subject matter, how to craft something that gets us maybe 80% of the way there back in the day. And now it's really close to 95% of the way there that I now come on and edit and create the icing for. Many lawyers in America now are using outsourced, you know, VAs in the Philippines and other places around the country, and they do quality work. Now, you have to monitor it. You have to have systems for teaching people how to do things, right? But you don't have to do everything. And, uh, you know, it's a thing that drives lawyers crazy. It keeps them at the office for way too many hours is that when they refuse to delegate so much of the running, particularly the running of the business of law, so two things, one to delegate, two, just to say no to a lot of things. And I guess the underlying philosophy on that, Jonathan, is I was born with a certain set of gifts, talents, and interests, and I believe my job is to explode those specific gifts, talents, and interests. You probably have heard me say before, like, I get the hives if I go through Home Depot. I'm not a building guy. I'm not a hammer and nail guy at all. Like, I'd rather overpay to get that work done because it'll get done right. <laughs> and it won't get done right if I do it. 
So I focus on things I'm really good at. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at coaching the team. I'm good at developing your culture. I'm good at strategizing in the cases that we do. Like we just came out of a meeting a few minutes ago where there's six people in the meeting. We're just going down on cases and I'm going to this. Here's a strategy. Think about this. I'm teaching them some of the younger ones, things they don't know. That's my space. I think that's important. When, you know, when I started, I went to law school. I wanted to be a trial lawyer. At least I thought I did. And when I yeah. first got out, I, I started at a MedMal firm. I got a lot of experience. And every new thing I did, I thought was awesome. I mean, my first trial, my first deposition, all of that. Yeah. But it got old. And then I, was, I figured out I didn't like it. You know, there are those lawyers that are born to try cases. I know some here in Atlanta that are in their 70s, and they don't ever want to stop trying cases. Imagine yeah. doing that. But I think well, that's look, the case. That's well, and if that's their definition of perfect, then great. Then they need to surround themselves with people who can go and get cases, who can get experts, who can do all the paperwork, and they want to be in trial. And that's perfect because we don't make a judgment of whether somebody should be doing the legal stuff or trying cases or any of that. That's not our judgment to make. What we help lawyers do is if you've made the judgment of which where your time is, where your energy is best spent. We'll help you get there. Okay, so I want to shift again. Your son, Brian, is, is a lawyer, and you guys work together. I think you're officially partners as well, maybe yes. both, yeah, we're both the law firm and GLM. Uh, tell me about that, how that came about. Okay, so, so Brian graduated law school and went to work for another firm for a short while and then went to work with a, another PI firm. His thinking, our thinking was, well, he graduated in 2008, so he graduated right into the recession. And he wanted to see the world and make his space. He's always said, look, I don't want to do a job where if I do, where I get paid the same as everybody else, I want to be able to control my own income. So planets contingent fee work where he could get paid more, the more that he developed his referral sources and closed cases, the more money he made. That's That was his space. About six years ago, we were, Ben was moving the two organizations, Ben Glass Law and Great Legal Marketing into bigger space. It was a great time. I said, look, if you've ever thought about, like, I don't want to press you to do anything, but if you've ever thought about coming to join us and you know bringing your type of cases to us and bringing your analytical skills here, like this would be a good time to talk about that. And so we did. And it would not have been the good time, the right time any earlier than that. We were both had things that we needed to learn. And then we did a deal and we basically did it on you know the back of a napkin. We each had separate lawyers just to make more so to make sure that we weren't missing something that we needed to talk about and have agreement about. Right. And then the whole deal was blessed by my wife, his mom. And so that's how the deal started. And today, you know, we, we run EOS, the entrepreneur operating system, you know, from the book traction, we run that religiously in the business in both businesses. And I'm the visionary and he's the integrator and he's fantastic integrator. He's got skill sets with numbers and spreadsheets and analytics and KPIs that, that just isn't my jam. <laughs> when, so when you take my visionary talents and his integrator talents, we really have built a rocket ship. It's the name of another book, Rocket Ship, but where our whole reason for being a Jonathan is we want to build a place where people will thrive. So not necessarily the best PI firm, not necessarily get justice for you know, car accident victims. That's what everybody talks about. We thought that if we could build a place where the owners thrive and the team members thrive, then if you get those two things right, then the clients will thrive. And so far, we've been right on that. 
It's not to say that it's easy. It's not saying we don't have disagreements, but you know, when we're in the room and we're debating stuff, okay, we can have disagreements. We have a leadership team. We walk out of the room, we're all aligned behind behind the agreement that we agreed to. And we have business coaches who come in and coach us on that. We each have our personal mindset coach, you know, that help us with sort of life coaches. We have that. So we invest pretty heavily, Jonathan, in our own corporate and individual coaching, which has helped. So, you know, from my perspective, you two seem to work really well together. Is that is that natural or have you had to learn how to do that? Or, or hopefully you haven't had to have your wife, his mom, step in as a referee. No, I think it's been pretty natural. I mean, he is, he is naturally inquisitive. I'll tell you a big thing that helped him was he, as I have grown up in other mastermind groups, right, through the Kennedy years, and, you know, I'm in other groups of people who do things bigger, better, and faster than I do. And then he found a group, GoBundance, um, which has been that for him. And so he hangs with, it's a men's group. They have a women's side, but he's in the men's group of guys who are oftentimes multiples and multiples of net wealth uh, larger than, you know, anybody we know collectively. And they really focus on not just the business, but even more so the life, like being a good dad, being a good spouse, being a charitable giver. And so that's to, for me to watch him in that journey and go off with those guys, that's been really cool as a father. And so we're both, we're, we practice open and honest communication. Uh, we do not agree about everything, but when we have disagreement, we are good at, again, the skill that we have developed is, Brian, this is why I think that ABC is right. We should do this. And he goes, well, dad, this is why I think ABC is right. And so in our visionary and integrator, role. He actually, the integrator is the tiebreaker on that stuff. So that's an EOS mantra as well. So we're fortunate. I mean, we're, Brian's wife, Krista is here as HR. And so she's really helped develop hiring and processes and internal, you know, just employee things that we didn't have documented before. Now we're like all grown up. So you mentioned earlier, it sounds like you and Brian agree, you want to build a firm and have a place where people can thrive. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we'll, I'll call it the firm culture discussion. Um, yeah. you know, what is your approach on the team around you and creating a place for them to thrive? When you come here to work, our promise is this will be the best place you ever worked. All right. And we say that with, with power because we say, Jonathan, if you work here, one of the things we live and die by is I want to know how I could make this the best place you'll ever work. Jonathan, I can't promise that I could fulfill everything on your list of what perfect would be. But I can tell you this, that if you're not thinking about that and we're not thinking about that and we're not communicating about that, then what are we shooting for? Because I genuinely want to bring people into the firm, Jonathan, who we could build to be so good they could go out and compete with us, but they don't want to leave. Now, we do have people leave. and We do have people leave and go and compete with us. And that's part of entrepreneurship. But I'd rather do that and I'd rather have that person working for me than someone who comes here and five years later, they're the same person. So we are big on... We have basically unlimited spending on 
if you've got an event you want to go to that will make you a better lawyer, paralegal, director, whatever, like we are seriously going to try to get you to that event. Brian and I spend a ton of money every year on events that we go to. And so we start there. We have a director of happiness and her job is to also be fessing out like, what do you like? What snacks do you like? How can we make your life easier? How can we make this a law firm that's just so different and from any other law firm in Northern Virginia. We've got people who work here, Jonathan, who've grown up in, let's just say, insurance defense firms. And I'm shocked. I'm shocked at the, how little money is spent on these people, on how little is spent on development, on how little technology they are given, on how little training they actually have, on how little mentoring they actually have. So the bar is not high, I don't think, to create a place where I want people to like coming in on Monday morning. And we're pretty successful at that. I wonder when you have this conversation with perhaps an interviewer, interviewee or a team member, I'm, I want to, what, what's the reaction that, that they have? Yeah. I imagine they've, they have never heard that from an employer before. Yeah. So you don't get much. This is one of the things you have to work on because no one is going to tell you, but what they're thinking is, oh, I've heard this before. All right. That's what they said at my last company. That was a promise that was made and it hasn't been fulfilled or they've never heard it before. So we tell them, as as you may know, we have our culture document. By the way, if any of your listeners want our culture document, we're happy to make that available to them. It's nothing proprietary, but it talks about the history of the firm. It talks about our core values and it's and it talks about how we treat each other and that we really mean it. But Jonathan, so that new employee who's interviewing with us, they can't, they don't have any reason to believe us, right? Because they don't know us. So that's something that is in every meeting, in every court. So we have weekly leadership meetings. We have quarterly, quarterly leadership meetings, but also quarterly team meetings. The team, the two verticals each meet also once a week. And it's just something that, that if you work for me, Jonathan, I have to work to convince you and show you that this is true. Again, and we're not perfect at it by any means, but we're conscious of it and we work at it. Like no one could look at us. No one could honestly leave here and say, we didn't try to make this the very best place you would ever want and a place you would not want to leave. And anyone who said that leaving us would be lying. So you mentioned earlier, you, you, you use EOS system. I know a lot of other firms do that as well. Maybe you could speak to your firm and how you ran it before EOS compared to how you run it now and, and the difference and perhaps the results you're seeing, the difference in results. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with the results. With any coach that anyone who's listening to this hires, the promise of the coach should be that, yeah, my fee sounds stiff right now, but I'm going to make that fee irrelevant for you. And so EOS, we pay $6,500 a day. There's an annual two-day meeting and there's three quarterly meetings that the, uh, the OS implementer is in, so you can do that math. And the fee has been made irrelevant for us. So what EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System, does is installs a way to run the business that is agnostic about the industry. So any company in, around the world that's running EOS, whether they're lawyers, they're making widgets, they're neurosurgeons, they are running the same meeting agenda. They are, they have crafted core values and they're hiring and firing to their core values. 
They have written and documented processes followed by all. They have a rhythm of meetings. I mentioned weekly, quarterly, and annual retreat. So they're all running the same meeting. And what that has done for us as we scaled and got more people under roof, more cases, more money running through the door is it has helped reduce the chaos. Because back at the beginning of the podcast, I said, look, what we're good at helping lawyers have happier lives without increasing the chaos and, and with reducing the chaos. So, so we don't teach EOS. We are huge fans of it. We think that it fits perfectly with what we are teaching at Great Legal Marketing, which is you know, essentially how to get more clients, how to get the right type of clients in the door, and then how to hire, fire, train, how to deal with vendors. Like the, the rigidity or the, I guess, the mechanics of running EOS just fit perfectly, we believe, with what we're teaching at Great Legal Marketing. I would say this too, like just in terms of spending on coaches, the more you spend on a thing, on a gym or a coach, like the more likely it is you're actually going to go do the thing and show up having the thing done. So there's that too. It, we say it changed our lives. So that's a high endorsement, but that's what we feel. Yeah. So, so another thing that I know you're talking about more lately, you're thinking about a lot, and that is the assuming the CEO role at a law firm. And I know you're pretty much there. I don't know if you're 100% there, but you're pretty much there. Take us through your journey to get there. And I know you talk a lot about sort of the guilt that some lawyers feel when they assume the CEO role. Yeah. So first, what are we talking about there? It's we're talking about, I think, doing the things and mainly only or mainly the things that are really best for the business as a business. All right. For many of us, it means doing less of the legal and more of the running of the business, the meetings, the marketing, the creation of systems. And, you know, as you journey through the profession, like it's easy to say, oh, be the CEO of your law firm. We recognize that's hard, right? It's particularly hard if you're doing under a million dollars in revenue. If you are the only lawyer or you have one lawyer, one associate, like your job at that stage is to work really hard, learn to be a great lawyer, stop the leaking out of the bucket of leads and money and bad spends and bad customer experiences. And when you get to, we think, around that million dollar or so mark, is the space, is it really the area where if you are going to continue to grow in revenues or grow a number of people under the roof, somebody needs to be running the firm as a firm. All right. You could hire in a CEO, but it's challenging in an environment where we can't generally cannot have non-lawyer owners and people who, who want to run businesses as CEOs really want a piece of the action. They want a piece of the equity. So that's a challenge. Right. And then, oh, the guilt thing. Like, so the guilt thing is this, is that I come into the office usually at 11. The soccer season is starting in a couple of weeks here. So often dams I'll be out at 3.30 or 4. I'm not taking depositions. I'm not answering discovery. I'm not writing briefs. I'm attending meetings. And when I leave, there's still a whole bunch of people here usually, right? And so this, when someone has spent their whole career working very hard, being first in, last out, oftentimes being last paid, as I have and many other lawyers in the solo and small firm market, like they know exactly what I'm talking about. You get to that stage where it looks like you're not working as hard. 
You're not taking inbound phone calls. But the reality is what you've done is you've elevated to working on things that are more important for the business today than than they were when you were less than a million dollars of revenue. And again, it's one of these things that Jonathan, like there's no bar journal articles on becoming the CEO of your law firm and doing less legal and running the business. They just don't even have that, right? And so that's what I work on. I teach a number of the other coaches in the space really talk and teach this, but it is both a, it's a hard work to get there. It's a psychological journey. And I've stood up in front of other mastermind groups that I'm members of and said, like, I feel really guilty that I'm not working as hard. And their answer is BS. You're doing what you were born to do now. Like everyone else's job in the firm is made better because I'm doing more and more pure CEO work. And I am almost there. Like I am, I'm involved in very little of the legal. So you mentioned soccer season's coming up. I know you're a, a you've been a soccer referee for, forever 50 50 years so back to designing the life that you want creating the life you want and and having a sort of your outlets and and areas to go pursue what you want to do i assume that's one of them talk a little bit about that i know you've written a book about soccer refereeing as well weird isn't it yeah so i started at 16 i'll start my 50th year i love it i love being in a stadium high school stadium national anthem rivalry give me that game and now on every field is artificial surface, so that's good. I don't have to worry about, you know, twisting my ankle on some pothole like I used to have to do. And I'm just, I'm, I would say that I'm good at it. I have a ton of experience. Every game, Jonathan, is both a physical challenge because I'll run four and a half miles in a boys or girls varsity game and a psychological challenge because half the people don't like what I do. Sometimes the coaches are screaming, the fans are screaming, but you really can't hear them. The high school athlete is a treasure. The high school boys and girls who are playing athletics, right? And soccer is my space. They're just great people. I mean, the conversations that we have on the field together that nobody else can ever hear, these are great kids. And so I just love that space. Again, I like now mentoring and coaching up the young referees. So I wrote a book, You, a Teenage Soccer Referee. And it really is for that teenager to get through their first year, second year, third year, when by definition, Jonathan, they cannot be good at what they are doing because you need reps. You need opportunities you need games to do and so we're learning this thing while people are sometimes being knuckleheads and yelling at us so that whole book is a mindset book of tools that they can use to survive because we lose them in year one and two and three if we can get them to year three then we can make them into a good referee who may last 50 years (laughs) all right let's shift back to to your law firm this is maybe a little bit of eos but and designing your life. I think as part of all of that vision is essential. And so, you know, tell us what do you, what's your vision for your firm and for GLM? Yeah. So for the firm, you know, our vision, both of us is to build this place that's going to provide us with essentially passive income after we are totally uninterested in doing legal. And we believe that absolutely can be done. Will some equity firm come in, private equity firm come in and want to buy it one day? Maybe, who knows? But why not? Let, why not build the thing that you actually could literally walk away from and still get checks from and have this influence that we have on the community, which is a good influence. I mean, we, I grew up here, so we touch a lot of people. We're proud of that work. Great legal marketing, same thing. Brian is now more involved in great legal marketing. I'm still the sole owner 
and I love it. Like there's hardly any place I'd rather be than on stage, like inspiring. Not It's not just the teaching of the ABC, here's how you market. That's not what drives me because a lot of people can do that. But Jonathan, it's the lawyers who come up to me, oftentimes older lawyers who say, I wish I had seen you 40 years ago, but my love for the law and love for the legal practice has been reinvigorated now listening to you. Because what I, again, what I'm really good at is being that breath of fresh air, I think, that says you don't have to do this the way they've told you that being a lawyer has to be for all of these years. There is another way. There's a whole bunch of us who are enjoying the practice. Again, making more money, that's important. But the money is like, okay, it's what does the money get you? The time freedom, the freedom to do things with your family that you want to do. That's really important. And I love mentoring these young lawyers who come out of law school, not having seen this alley, this solo and small firm alley. And we go, look over here at this. Look at these guys. Look at the Jonathan Hawkins of the world, right? What they're building. We've assembled them all. Come into our room because we want to give you something that the law firms or the law schools won't give you and the profession doesn't give you. And so I really live on, on the excitement of seeing someone else's eyes light up and go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, I tried that strategy. Oh, I fired Eeyore, who has been working for me for 10 years, dragging the whole firm down. I really like my life now. That's what drives me. So vision there is, Jonathan, people ask me all the time, like I'm six, I'll be 66 end of the month. Like, when are you going to retire? I said, I say, I, I retire from people I don't like and things I don't want to do every single day. But why would I retire from doing stuff that actually gives me energy? Again, my days aren't perfect. You can come and follow me around for a week. You'll see they're not perfect, but they're pretty good. They're pretty good. And I'm in pretty good shape. And so, you know, I'm generally happy. Well, I'd say that that message is extremely important. And I'm glad you're out there saying it. Keep shouting that message. I like your vision as well. There's lots of lawyers out there that that think they just have to work forever and they can't create a, a, a cash flow type business. I think that is false. And, and I'm glad you guys are pursuing that and, and you can show others how to do that. Um, real quick, we're almost done here, but to the, to the young lawyers out there that are maybe thinking about starting a firm or maybe have just started a firm, is there any top one, two, three pieces of advice that you would give them as they are starting down this journey? I would say first know that it is not only possible, but that this is probably the future, right? Your future is not in working in a big firm for somebody else. I would say know that there are what I call many good rooms right now. So I run a great room. There are many, so my friends, Ken Hardison, Richard James, R. John Robbins, Mike Mogul, running good rooms. I, I would want to get to one of those conferences, one of these grow your practice conferences in the next year, just be in that environment and see the possible, right? And then I would read as many books as I can. I, as you know, John, like, I will talk to anybody. Uh, with this caveat is I like to talk to people, particularly young lawyers who will actually go and do something, right? Who are interested in, you know, improving their lives. So if you are one of them and you're hearing this, like feel free to reach out to me. Both Brian and I are on LinkedIn a lot. It's a great way to kind of see what our philosophy of living is. I've got a podcast, the Renegade Lawyer podcast. Go listen to that, get ideas. 
Brian had a podcast. It was called Time Freedom for Lawyers. And now I think it's embarrassingly, I think it's called After the Briefs or or Law Beyond the Briefs or something like that. But if you go look for Time Freedom for Lawyers, you'll find it. And just understand that there's lots of us out here who are very willing to talk to young lawyers about what it takes to start your own practice or get in with a buddy, right? Or a girlfriend and create something, you know, in a partnership that's just different from most of what has been built today. And we will introduce you to people who are farther along that path, who I tell you will help you get to where you want to be. Well, I highly recommend folks check out Great Legal Marketing. I fully endorse that. I know there's the conference is in October, I think, maybe. Plug that. And you mentioned LinkedIn. Anything else? Any other place you think anybody wants to find you or Brian? Yeah, I can say, yeah, thanks. So so if you can go to benglasslaw.com and see what we're doing there. We've got YouTube channels. We're all on TikTok and some of these other social media. But if you haven't been to one of our events, at our last event, we created 186 pages of notes and PowerPoint slides, had them professionally edited. And so if you like that, we're making them free for the world. It, go to glmsummitnotes.com and give us your name and email address. You'll get it. There's no obligation, no nothing. We believe that you know our job is to spread the message. We like working with people. We like people to join the organization for sure, but it's got to be the right thing for you. It's got to be the right thing for your life. We can help you make that decision. And if we're not right for you, I know everybody. So I can show you like whose other room you might get great value from. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for joining us and sharing your journey and and your philosophy. This has been fun. Jonathan, thanks. This has been a pleasure. It's a great way to spend the afternoon with you, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Founding Partner Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can also connect with Jonathan on LinkedIn and check out the show notes with links to resources mentioned throughout our discussion by visiting www.yourlawfirmgc.com. We'll see you next time for more origin stories and insights from successful law firm founders. 